0: Join me in Daniel chapter 6. We're studying the book of Daniel together. We're kind of taking it verse by verse and event by event. When we finished chapter 5, it was, uh, it was really the end of, of Babylon in any official capacity. Belshazzar was the king. He was having a great feast. There was a hand that appeared uh, and he couldn't read the handwriting on the wall. Daniel was called out of retirement, as it were, to come and read the writing, and he said to Belshazzar, the king, your life has been weighed in the balances. It's been found wanting. You didn't measure up. Your kingdom, your life has been brought to an end, and the Medes and the Persians are going to take over. And the scripture says, history records, that on that very night, Belshazzar was killed. He was killed by Gobrius who was formerly one of his generals. Gobrius had conspired with the Medes and the Persians. No one knew how it would be even possible to attack the fortified city of Babylon, but Gobrius knew. So they diverted the river Euphrates. They turned the water away from it, and the the level of the water went down. The Persians waited underneath the walls of Babylon. They came underneath the walls, they waited underneath it, and there was no battle at all. The only one who died that night was Belshazzar, according to the prophecy that Daniel shared with him that very night. And Gobrius had cut a deal with Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great was the leader of the Medes and the Persians, really the Persian Empire. And the deal that he made was, I'll give you Babylon if you'll let me be the king of Babylon. And so uh, he allowed him to do that. Gobrius took a a kingly name, a divine name, he thought, in the name Darius. So when you turn to Daniel chapter 6, you read that It pleased Darius, this is Darius the Great, once named Gobrius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. We don't use the word satrap anymore. We would use, sometimes it's translated mayor, but here it's better governor. He's divided all of Babylon into provinces and uh, he set 120 governors over it. And uh, he's done that throughout the whole kingdom. Verse two, and over the hundred and twenty governors or satraps, he set three presidents, of whom Daniel was one. Now this is this is just amazing in and of itself. A Hebrew boy is taken as a captive after the war that Babylon fights with Israel, and he and he's taken away to Babylon. Uh, ordained by the providence of God, he goes to the University of Babylon. He learns the Chaldean language. He He learns the governmental system of of Babylon. He works his way up in that government to become one of the chief counselors to Nebuchadnezzar and eventually one of the good friends of Nebuchadnezzar. In that same period of time, God is trying to reach Nebuchadnezzar for his own personal salvation, and Daniel becomes the one who is instrumental in that as God reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar dies, his son becomes king, he doesn't have any sons, so the nephews fight it out, and, uh, and Belshazzar is the one who kind of wins that. Well, Daniel's gone into retirement, and now Gobrius remembers him. He remembers Daniel, and he sets him up as one of the three highest officials in the country. And verse 3 says, then Daniel became distinguished above the other two presidents and all the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned then, because Daniel was so good at this, to set him over the whole kingdom. He's going, to be the, he's going to be the number two guy in the kingdom only to Darius himself. Well, uh, you know a little bit about politics and corruption, and you know a little bit about envy and ego. Verse 4 says, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. I'm sure there was some kind of congressional inquiry or something, huh? And uh, uh, so they, they couldn't find a ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And these men said, and, and what that means is they said to one another in this conspiracy, they said, we're never going to find any ground of complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now that phrase is the phrase that I want to call your attention to this morning. When it says in connection to the law of his God, they're talking about the scriptures. Daniel had with him several copies of the scriptures that were written up until that time. He had the writings of Moses. He had the writings of the of the judges and of the kings of Israel. He had the writings of Jeremiah, we know, because later in Daniel, he's going to say, I was reading from the prophet Jeremiah when I figured out when the Lord was going to return. And so we know that he has all that. He refers to David, so we know he has the Psalms. So uh, David has the scriptures. or I'm sorry, Daniel has the scriptures. And Daniel sees the scriptures as truth, his scriptures are, for Daniel, the revelation of God himself. And so they know we are we are never going to find any complaint or any corruption or any fault or any negligence in Daniel. If we're going to get rid of him, we got to do it in conjunction with how he sees the world through the laws of his God. And how Daniel sees the world is... Uh, has become a phrase that's uh, very popular in modern America today. We call it a world view. You have a world view. I have a world view. Uh, an elementary, a boy, elementary age boy in Ecuador has a world view. A senior adult woman in Mongolia has a world view. Politicians and judges have a world view. Lobbyists have a world view. World leaders have a world view. Everyone has a worldview. It's simply, a worldview is simply the combination of all the things that you believe to be true. So you have, over the, the years of your life, you've taken some information from here and some information from here and hopefully some information from here. And you have begun to build in your life this is truth. It becomes the prism or the, the filter or the lens. By by which you see the world, and it becomes the driving force behind every emotion and decision and action and and, and word that that you are involved with, because you declare truth based on your worldview, and so. Daniel can't be attacked by uh, accusation of corruption or negligence. They can only get him if they can declare part of his worldview to be unlawful, and and that's what they're going to do. Now, this morning, before we look at the rest of that story, and it's a it's a famous story of how Daniel ends up in a lion's den. I, I want us to talk about worldview just for a little bit because if 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 how you see the world, what you determine truth is, is, is what determines everything in terms of your actions and what you do and what you think and what you feel, then, then in reality, determining what truth really is and, and living your life according to that truth actually becomes the single most important thing in your life. How, are you, how do you know whether it's right or not to lie to your boss? It, it depends on your worldview. How, how do you know whether it's right or not to take someone to court if you really don't have a right? It depends on your worldview. How do you know something about uh, truth and eternity and heaven and hell? Well, if you know it, it comes from your worldview. So determining what truth is becomes the single most important thing in your life. Now, as you're determining that, and I and I understand that this morning, I'm, I'm speaking primarily to most of you here this morning are believers, you're Christians, and you would say that you have a biblical worldview, but we don't do a very good job of living that out because we live in Babylon. We live in a we live in a, in a culture where most of the people in the world have a different worldview. They don't see the world through a biblical lens. They don't see the world the way you and I do. And, and more than that, Babylon as a culture, I'm not, I'm not, now I'm not talking about the ancient city with walls around it. Babylon as a worldly culture is working to subvert the thinking of Christ followers. And, and the reason Babylon does that is because if it can subvert the truth in our lives, it can also uh, nullify the power of God in our lives. And to a certain extent, you and I would have to agree that, that Babylon has been pretty effective in that. I would suggest to you that every single empty seat in this room is an evidence that we don't really act according to everything that we say we believe. If we really believed that there was a real heaven and a real hell and we really believed that people without Christ were going there and if we really loved our loved ones our neighbors if we loved our neighbors as ourselves we we would be uh, undeniably passionate about doing everything we could to get people in a place where they could hear the gospel and their lives could be changed but along the way we compromise this and along the way we cease to believe that and along the way we watered down what we believe because babylon tells us that's not true or you're crazy or if you believe that yeah that's that's hate speech or you're 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 some kind of old traditional, old-fashioned. You're, you, you don't know really what's going on in the world today. And so we, we begin to give up pieces and parts of what we once held to be true. Um, recently, a pollster named George Barna. Are you familiar with that name? Uh, George Barna is not a pollster like Gallup. He doesn't really survey to get political results. He's interested in the, in the Christian world. He's interested in the kingdom of Christ, and so he frequently uh, polls people and and the church concerning what we believe. Well, recently, he claimed that only 9% of Christians hold a biblical worldview. Now, at first glance, you say, oh, well, how is that possible? Are they Christian or are they not Christians? And the answer is, they've come to the place where they, they believe in Jesus, they, they want to be born again, they want the forgiveness of sin, they want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't really believe all these other parts. They, they're changing their worldview. They believe John 3.16, but not Genesis chapter 1. They 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 want to believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die, but they really don't believe the part about God created the world. The world tells them, Babylon tells them, the, the world just evolved. That uh, an amoeba climbed out on a rock and grew legs and a tail, and this is that's how we really got here. And and it's so your your friends, your scientific-minded friends, will laugh at you if you believe in creation. By the way, the little-known secret is that hundreds and hundreds. Of uh, credentialed scientists are now turning their back on evolution, and you can you can find it all over in terms of intelligent design or creative design, and, and a lot of these men aren't even believers in terms of Christendom. They just have now seen the flaws and the fallacies. Of evolution and what's really blown it apart is uh, molecular biology because uh, looking at the uh, looking at animals from the outside, a forearm could be an arm or a leg or a wing, and all of that could evolve. But when you look at the DNA of it, it's not possible. That's for free. I don't have time to preach it, but it's just blowing up. Except. Except nobody wants you to know that. Babylon doesn't want you to know that. So Christians give up Genesis chapter 1. Christians will say, well, I I believe in heaven, but I don't know if I believe the part about the Red Sea dividing and Israel walking across on dry ground or the walls of Jericho falling down or or Jonah being swallowed by a fish and being in his belly for three days and three nights. And So they've just gone through the Bible and said, well, I I believe this part, I don't believe that part, I believe this part, I don't believe that part. And they're picking and choosing what they believe. And, And in a world right now that's so confused about sexual, the world says, well, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't believe this old-fashioned stuff about sexuality. Here's what I want to say to you, and this is, in some ways, this is kind of the, the pinnacle of the sermon this morning. This is what you've got to get. A Christian view of the world cannot be accepted or rejected piecemeal. It stands or falls on a holistic integrity. Here's what I mean by that word holistic. You, you either have to take it as a whole or you have to reject it as a whole because the word of God itself is so interlaced that to reject any part of it is to reject all of it. Here's the easiest way to explain that to you. There's so many people that I meet that go like, "Well, I don't believe all those old rules and commands, but I believe in Jesus." Okay, let's take Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I, I have people who tell me I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't believe Jesus is the only way. Wait, but Jesus said he was the only way. So is he the only way or not the only way? Well, yes, I believe that, but I don't believe that. Was God confused? Was Jesus confused when he said he was the only way? Jesus is the one who said, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Did God not know about evolution at that time? People saying, oh, well, Darwin hadn't happened yet. But God happened. Did he not know? Or was he not God? Jesus is the one who said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so I'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Talking about his uh, death and burial and resurrection. Jesus affirmed all of the Old Testament. People say, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. Jesus spoke about hell more than any other person in the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't just, look, and I I don't mean this to sound mean-spirited, you're not even smart enough to just go, well, I believe this part, but I don't believe this part. You can't say, I'm going to take John 3.16, but reject." the rest. If you're going to reject any of it, reject it all because it all stands or falls together. So when we look at Daniel, what was Daniel's worldview? Well, I don't have time to to do it all, but let me give you five parts of what Daniel absolutely believed that we can see from the scriptures and, and the book that he wrote. Number one, the world was created by an infinite, omnipotent God He's the owner, and the Bible word for that is Lord, of heaven and earth. There, there, there wasn't an evolutionary process. There was a God who said, let there be light. And by the way, there might have been a really big bang at that moment. But God's the one who did it. And, and, and the apostles wrote that in the New Testament. And then we have the Apostles' Creed, and we have the Nicene Council. And every time since then, Christians have affirmed he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He created it. If he didn't create it, he doesn't have any proprietary ownership of it. But his hands are all over it. He designed it. His fingerprints are all over it. That's the beauty of what you see in the world that he created. Secondly, our creator God is not just a creator God. He didn't just create the world and then step back, start spinning and, and let it go on its own. Our creator, creator God is also our savior God. Say amen. He, he, didn't just, he didn't just create us and then leave us to ourselves, but the scripture says he loved us so much, he sent his one and only son. And because of that, he's knowable He's, you can know who God is. So many people. Are like, oh, well, there's so many things we can't know. You can know them. John writes in the New Testament: These things are written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. God is knowable because he constantly, continually reveals himself to us in love. And and that really is the story of the first four chapters of Daniel. In in some ways, the first four chapters of Daniel are not about Daniel. They're about Nebuchadnezzar. Why? God loves Nebuchadnezzar. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to know him. So he sends a young Hebrew boy from Israel to Babylon. And he, and he raises him up in the government. And he makes him there to, uh, available to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. And his first dream is revelation of himself. And, and, and then when Nebuchadnezzar gets prideful, he reveals himself again through the three friends of Daniel who walk through the fiery furnace and don't get burned. And then he reveals himself again with another dream. And then he reveals himself again through Nebuchadnezzar's mental illness. And who's there every time to interpret the revelation of God? Daniel is. And why is God doing this over and over again? Because he loves Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, his proclamation in chapter 4 is, there's only one God in all the world. He comes to this saving knowledge of salvation in that. This is what God wants to do with you. This is what he wants to do with every single person on the planet. God's at work. He's at work in the world through, through mission teams that go to Nepal, through missionaries that go and spend their life other places, through the, through the word of God, through, the, through the, the technology that we have. It's got God's word all in it. He's at work in the world presenting himself. One of the things that's happening in the Islamic world that is not talked about is that Islamic people are seeing the vision of Christ, in their dreams sometimes, and then Jesus tells them where to go so that they can hear salvation. And our missionaries are having a knock on the door. They open the door, and people say, last night I had a vision. They'll say things like, are you Paul Jones? And and the missionary goes, yeah. And they go, I had a vision last night that come to talk to you that you could tell me the way of salvation. Now, the reason you're not hearing that is all those people's lives would be in danger. So and and the evening news isn't going to carry that anyway, right? But that's happening in the world. Why is it happening? Because God is knowable and he's revealing himself so that people will be saved. Now, God created the world, but the world was given to humankind in order to manage it with the divine principles that the Lord Himself set forward. And so uh, God uh, gave, uh, the scripture says, Adam and Eve dominion over the world. He set them as steward managers of the world, sacred managers of the world. So, so uh, mankind, humankind, is, is separate from the rest of creation. We are the pinnacle of creation because God breathed in mankind the breath of life. And because Adam and Eve received that and they received the, the stamp of the imprint of the image of God on their souls, it means then, here's, here's a difference in two worldviews right here. This is, I'll, just, I'll use this for illustration. It means that you either have a worldview that we're made in the image of God by a creative divine act by God or that every, every creature on the planet is equal. There are many people, you probably know people, who think that every creature on the planet is equal and your rights aren't any greater than a deer or an elk or a wolf or a beetle or a ladybug. Don't think this isn't being taught in schools today. It's a different worldview than saying that you've been imprinted with the image of God and mankind has the divine responsibility, and right to manage the world. And that's what God commanded us to do. Two different worldviews. Well, what did we do when we were supposed to be managing the world? Well, we blew it, didn't we? Adam and Eve sinned, and everybody who's ever lived on the planet since then has sinned. You've sinned, and I've sinned. And so the world fell under a curse of sin. That's, that's what happened. The world separated itself from God. The world thumbed its nose at God and said, You know what? I don't know that I believe everything that you said. I think we'll live life in the way that we think is best. And, and, and so, as such, Satan has partnered with human depravity to establish Babylon. Babylon is a worldview, Babylon is a world system that seeks to protect and maintain a sinful world. That's what Babylon does. Babylon doesn't want Jesus. Babylon doesn't want the gospel. Babylon doesn't want uh, 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 a sermon of repentance and faith. Babylon seeks to maintain the present uh, status quo of a sinful world. That's how sin works. This is very easily illustrated. I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever done this. I know that you have. You have told a lie. And then as you were about to be caught in that lie, you told a second lie to cover the first lie. Don't look at me like you haven't done that. And then you told a third lie to cover the second lie to cover the first lie. And did you notice when you were caught in your web of lies that with every lie they became a bigger whopper than the last one? This is what sin does. Sin covers itself. Sin tries to, to, to not get caught in its web of sin. And so a sinful world is just seeking to maintain itself. It doesn't want to be exposed by the light of the gospel and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because when that light is shed and brought into your heart, what do you got to do? <laughs> you, you can either go on your way to hell or you got you to run the, to the cross of Christ and throw yourself down. It's the only thing left to do. Babylon doesn't want that. Well, as we conclude this morning, and remember this is just the highlights of Daniel's worldview the last thing that we're going to see, and we're going to see it at length when we get to the prophetic parts of Daniel, but the kingdoms and the things of this world will pass away. Uh, this is the very first dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. Remember there was a statue, gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay, and he told him, he said, uh, Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, but in the, in the dream, they all pass away. And, and all of that dream has become true. You and I now stand 2,600 years after the dream, and it all happened just like God said it was going to happen. His prophecy was 100% correct. Every kingdom of the world, every earthly kingdom will pass away. And if America doesn't turn back to Christ the country that was once the greatest country that the world has ever known, will also pass away. They all pass away. Every earthly kingdom will pass away, but that's only half of it. The other half is eventually it will all be replaced with an eternal kingdom of Christ. Jesus is coming again. You say, how do you know? It's my worldview. In in this scripture right here, there are... 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ. 300 prophecies that were made before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem that all came true. But in these same scriptures, because remember I told you, they are integrated, it's synergistic, it's holistic, you gotta take it all. In these same scriptures are 900 prophecies about the second coming of Christ. If you believe in Christmas, you gotta believe in the rapture. If you believe in the baby born in a manger, you've got to believe in the judge coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Because they all go together. And Christ Jesus is indeed returning. When in just a few moments we partake of the Lord's Supper, we will be reminded that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Even the Lord's Supper is a reminder that Jesus is coming. Daniel believed it. I believe it. Christians who decide this is my world view can start to live live it out because it is true.